Welcome to a Tech Policy Podcast. I'm Ashkan Kazarian. On today's show, we're going to talk about gig economy and women. Joining me is Patrice Nwoka, Senior Policy Analyst with the Independent Women's Forum. Patrice, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Ash. So before we dive into gig economy and women, um, tell us a little bit about what Independent Women's Forum is. What is your organization? Sure. We're a nonprofit organization. We educate women about how greater freedom, uh, more less government regulation, uh, more economic freedom is better for their outcomes, you know, better for them and their families, better for their economic opportunities. Um, and better for their lives. And so we cover a range of topics. We have smart, independent thinking women who write policy solutions, common sense policy on a range of topics from immigration uh, to labor law, which is something that I dabble in. (laughs) And so I focus on um, how do we expand opportunity for American workers and particularly women. Uh, so, uh, how long has Independent Women's Forum have been around? Oh, we've been around uh, for a couple of decades now. Um, we've been, boy, I think coming out of some of our founders, uh, you know, saw a, an opportunity uh, in the conservative movement in the freedom space uh, after the Clarence Thomas hearings. Um, uh, but recognizing that women, there's a unique way to speak to women about the issues and the principles that we care about. We don't sacrifice principle, but there are some women view things differently than men do sometimes. And so, you know, we speak to women. We don't dumb things down for them, but we go to where they are. And we don't just reach out to conservative women. We like to think we like to reach independent thinking women who may not take on any sort of political moniker. It is very important to remember that in this space, it's not just liberal women who have a voice. And I think it's very important that you guys are both collaborating with them and also standing on your own and voicing your principles and the point of view you have, um, because sometimes I at least haven't seen in the common media space as many conservative women having a voice and having a similar platform. Oh, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, the media loves to silence women who are not liberal thinking women. Um, they tell us that, you know, be, we, we only think the way our, our fathers and our husbands and our sons tell us to think and vote. Um, they try to minimize conservative women. Um, you can start at the White House and work your way down through the administration into, you know, politics in general. But, you know, we exist. We represent quite a large part of the voting demographic of women. Uh, and we think that on a range of issues, a lot of women across the political spectrum agree with us. We want common sense solutions that allow us to, control, to make decisions for our families that are best for our families, not someone else making those decisions for us. In personal experience, and my politics are more kind of moderate, left of center, I've even encountered men who are left of center uh, dismissing anything that doesn't agree with them by saying, oh, that's just the um, regulatory thought, or maybe that's a libertarian thought you have, and you just don't understand what you're doing, which is fascinating because, uh, and this is just me going off on a side vent, but I think there's definitely a space for extremely liberal men who use being, um, a, you know, an ally as their shield, and they're way more sexist sometimes than conservative men, in my experience, at least, with interacting with them. But that's a whole separate episode. I promise it will happen one day. <laughs> um, so uh, you talked about labor laws and how you engage on those policy issues. We just uh, saw on the news today is December 2nd. It's Cyber Monday, and I hope you all got your consumerism out of your, you know, out of your system. 
but New Jersey hit Uber with 650 million tax bill for misclassifying workers, yes. according to them. So what's going on here is that New Jersey sees the gig economy as a cash cow, um, not unlike California. Um, but in essence, they're saying that if you are a gig worker, and we're talking about folks who may be driving for Uber or Lyft, maybe you are delivering McDonald's meals through DoorDash, maybe you are doing home repairs through TaskRabbit, maybe you're selling on Etsy, especially on Cyber Monday. Or walking people's dogs. Or walking people's dogs. There are so many ways that we are using these technology platforms to find customers for the services that we want. Uh, and so that's really part of what being part of the gig economy economy is. And, and according to Pew Research, about one in four Americans made money on, through the gig economy, I believe, in 2018. So that's a lot of people. Uh, and, and so, you know, now you've got New Jersey saying, wow, well, those are not considered, all those gig workers are not considered employees of Uber, which means we can't get payroll taxes from them. We can't extract tax revenue from them. And so they're saying we need to reclassify those workers as not independent contractors, meaning you don't work for Uber, you are just using the platform, but classifying them as employees. Uh, and, And the impacts are... Uh, rippling and 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 in a, in a negative way towards workers, but also for consumers. It's gonna see, we're gonna see price increases as a result if this continues to go through. So that's why New Jersey said, okay, this is what we feel about Uber. We're gonna slap you with a tax bill. We're sending a big message, especially because the tricky thing about gig economy is you can't put everyone under the same generalization. There are people who drive for Uber a couple of hours a week or maybe a day a week. There are people who do it full time, but it's not, there's no real way of separating the two or treating them differently. Same goes to, I mean, the wonderful people who helped me put my furniture together on TaskRabbit because I'm an independent woman and I don't need no man. I'll pay someone to do it for me, okay? Um, and so it's it's fascinating that also in California, there was a bill, AB5, that we have mentioned in our work that also does that. And I'll let you talk about it, but I just want to mention that California's bill not only doesn't fully understand the gig economy, it also kind of put into that category independent journalists who, you know, write articles for different outlets. And that was a moment when I was like, wait a minute, they have no idea what they're doing at all because they just got all this liberal um, and not, you know, freelance journalists who do this where like they, I know that's a very hard gig, but they, you know, write multiple op-eds and pieces for multiple outlets every day. They put them into the same category and now they're all screwed. Well, yeah. I mean, in the independent contractor world has been part of our economy for probably forever. Uh, the gig economy is a slice of it. But you talk about freelancers who are journalists. You talk about freelancers in pretty much every occupation and you see how broad and sweeping both New Jersey's bill as well as California's bill, which is really I think the mother of this, uh, uh, AB5, uh, which sweeps so many independent contractors into this idea of becoming employees of the people that uh, that, that they're, you know, gaining employment through. And I, I'm trying to choose my words really carefully, Ash, because I don't. I really want us to understand that there is a difference between an independent contractor who's pretty much like a small business owner and who makes their own schedule, who determines when, where, how often they work. And, and they're just going through, uh, you know, 
whether it's a company or a, a private employee employer, to be able to secure those hours of work that they need, but they're in control of, of what they do. That's that's different from an employee. I'm an employee of the Independent uh, Independent Women's Forum. I work for the Independent Women's Forum, and as a result of that, I'm there's a trade-off. I'm giving my time and my hours, and I'm getting certain worker benefits. But when you're an independent contractor, you recognize uh, you your, your trade-off is that you're not getting those worker benefits, and you're okay with that because, in part, you want that flexibility. You want to be able to determine when and where you work. Um, and you know, um, let me just pause and talk about women in particular. There was this really interesting study in 2018 from women in the gig economy, and it was actually done by some uh, female entrepreneurs who had uh, tech startups. And they asked over a thousand women who work in the gig economy, why do you work? Why do you do this? These side hustles, as we call them. Um, and what's interesting, the top three reasons they cited for working in the gig economy is number one, flexibility, number two, income, and number three, building a business. So they are entrepreneurs themselves, and they may be using this gig work. TaskRabbit, Uber, whatever, as side income to support that. But then you ask them, would they tra- would they want to be a full-time employee, which is what these, lo- these labor laws are trying to get at? 61%, they say they prefer to, re- to remain an independent contractor. Only 12% want to be employees. So you have a slice, a, a huge slice. And what slice- about the rest? Uh, and the rest, uh, they didn't. They didn't say. They may not have d- decided. That's what 70, oh, okay. 73 yeah. percent. Uh, so the other maybe twenty seven percent didn't know. Uh, but you still have more, almost two out of three saying, "I want to be independent." And so that tells us that when California is saying. All of a sudden, all of these employees, these independent contractors are now going to be employees because of this new three-pronged test that they set up. And I'm not going to bore the listeners with that. You can go and research it. But this this new employment test that's saying, okay, if you don't meet these qualifications, then this person is an employee, not an independent contractor. You are now sweeping up a ton of people. However... As we know, when it comes to big government and big business, sometimes you have uh, unions and you have special interests who get those little carve outs. And so with California, uh, a bunch of people get carved out of their uh, of their plan and exempted uh, like insurance agents, real estate uh, folks, professional, some professional services, some cosmetology folks, all because they recognize that a big, a, a, a large one size fits all bill like California bill would sweep so many people under it when they were really just trying to get at those big, deep-pocketed tech companies. Uh, So they have to do these exemptions. New Jersey, we're seeing uh, far fewer exemptions, but no doubt there'll probably be some more concessions. So on top of, uh, sorry to interrupt, so on top of that, fine, they're actually copy-pasting the California bill. They're pretty much copy and pasting. Same three-pronged ABC test to determine whether someone is uh, an employee or whether they're going to remain it an independent contractor. I mean, the big takeaway here is that uh, innovation is, is is always going to continue to be dynamic, and it's going to challenge the traditional models, whether we're talking about employment law models and the, uh, the, the traditional national fair labor laws that have been in, in existence since the, what, the 1930s, uh, and so it has not kept up with innovation. But, the, but what's important is that innovation is develop, is providing opportunities for people, people who want to make who want to you know rent out their house on Airbnb for a couple of weeks while they go away on vacation and make that money. 
money for their family. You know, women who want to drive Uber uh, from between when they drop off their kids in the morning and when they pick them up, that can be, you know, it's not a full-time job for them, but it's enough to make money to be able to pay all of their household needs. You know, you're talking about people who want that flexibility that traditional nine to five jobs don't offer. And I think as we look at the future of the workforce and where it's going, it is not sitting at a desk 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and then clocking out. It's actually people working on their schedules, probably off hours, but being able to produce, being even more productive and beneficial to society than they could in the traditional model. I'm very glad you mentioned the flexibility part because that's something, especially mothers, right? Yes. Are focused on and want to have because, I mean, depending on how many kids you have, maybe you have a kid with special needs. I mean, I've heard all the stories with women that I've interacted with through the services and Obviously, sometimes it's complicated navigating your own schedule, but at the same time, you are in charge of how many hours a week you work. And I am honestly scared that if the California bill is going to go into effect, what's going to happen with all that flexibility and income these people have and the support that the family gets from this revenue source. I think about, you make a great point about mothers. I also think about caregivers. I think about millennials who have parents who are a, who are aging and, and maybe ailing in health, or even our baby boomer parents who have, you know, older parents that they're taking care of. And, you know, sometimes if you have to leave for two hours to take a, a parent to a doctor's office, your, your regular traditional employer may not uh, be that flexible, you know, but if you have, let's say you do tasks on TaskRabbit, maybe you do some deliveries and you cobble together a schedule that works for you even if it's part-time that disappears when you implement um, some these rigid laws and what's interesting uber looked at what they would have to do if something like ab california's bill went into place and they talked about they would they might have to institute shifts um, which would eliminate so imagine that uber says every driver has a specific shift well wait a minute that throws flexibility that throws schedule control right outside the window i mean no longer can you say, oh, you know, I'm going to wake up at 8 a.m., I'll drive for two hours, take a break, and maybe drive from 8 p.m. to midnight. No, now you have to take the shift that Uber gives you, and you may not like it. And so when you think about trying to juggle all of those other life uh, responsibilities that a lot of people have, that would completely eliminate it. Um, It's going to, for us, it's going to make it extremely more expensive. I mean, the great part about the gig economy is that it is uh, an on-the-moment example of how a market market system works, where when demand increases because of weather, you know, or uh, just a lot of people getting off at work at the same time, maybe if you're in the the D.C. area and there is a train malfunction on the metro and suddenly everybody wants an Uber ride, well, you know, the the price skyrockets, but then that attracts more drivers out to be able to then fill that need and the price goes down and you've got more drivers. That that doesn't happen when when a company has to now centrally control how many drivers are on the Yeah, and imagine how unhappy driver would be if he's driving around traffic time and he gets only like three or four rides in because he's stuck in D.C. traffic or, I don't know, California traffic, which is even worse. Let's talk about California traffic and Uber drivers. Let's say you're stuck doing those shifts 
And then you don't get to do the surge shift or the night shift that are more lucrative or people are a little more drunk and they tip better. <laughs> it all it all is so yes. important to remember. It is. And all that disappears because now it has to be centrally planned. Boy, oh boy. I think we use a ton of buzzwords today. Central planning. Um, we talked about, uh, you know, just how the market works. But this is unfortunately what happens when you take a free market approach versus kind of a socialistic approach where, you know, what someone in a central office determines how everything should go. Uh, and so, yeah, Uber said, you know, we'd have to we'd have to implement shifts. We would uh, rides would get more expensive. And because now they would be responsible for things like overtime pay um, and benefits to workers, they're obviously going to pass those costs on to us as customers. So the, the cost of a daily ride will probably go up to the point where maybe we stop riding Uber and maybe we start taking public transit. I don't know about you, Ash, but maybe that's a part of a, a motivation for some of these lawmakers. I don't know how to drive. I don't know how to drive, <laughs> lawmakers. Please don't do this to me. I'm 28 and I don't know how to drive. And Uber and sometimes DC Metro that is awful is all I have. And on top of that, I also want to mention um, something I've heard people say in this argument, which to me is crazy, but I'm just going to throw it at you and let you deal with the crazy, which is, oh, let them keep a flexible schedule and give them benefits. Well, that sounds great. But as I mentioned at the start, there are trade-offs in life with everything. And uh, the benefits are a trade-off of the flexibility. If you want those benefits, then you can become a full-time employee of the company, and then you get all those benefits, but, you just, but you're trading off the flexibility. Uh, now, if, if businesses uh, decide to offer that because you know, the competition is so strong in the, the ride-sharing or the gig economy that they, that they start to expand those benefits, that's a choice that they should make. But uh, if you think you can regulate that into happening, what's gonna, it, it, the business model will not be able to support it. And when you look at some of these tech companies, while they may uh, have huge revenues, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're breaking even or even generating enough profits to sustain an increase in, in wages. And I, and I think Uber was talking about a 30 percent increase in in uh, in their employer employee com, uh, employee benefits if they have to pay them out. Then they're just a cab company with an app. Yes. And not just a tech company, not a tech company anymore. Um, also, I think I'm pretty sure Uber was not uh, profitable for first couple of years. And um, what we're forgetting as consumers is these companies are not going to be around forever. They feel like such an important part of our lives right now. But it was just yesterday that Ashton Kutcher was talking about Uber on like a talk show and saying, oh yeah, I invested in this company and like when you're drunk and you don't know where you are, it's going to pick you up. I remember it. Mm -hmm. And I think I was in college. And, you know, it's not going to be around maybe in a couple of years if we, especially if we pressure them. And also, you know, who's not going to be around? Whoever was going to come and challenge them. Yes, it discourages competition. And what's interesting is that when you implement these new regulations, very often big deep pocketed companies like some of these bigger tech companies that have been around for a while, they may be able to absorb the cost of 10%, 20%, even 30% um, increases, although I doubt they could absorb that high. But it's the small com competitors. Um, you know, I, I see, I can even see a logo on the side of a car that's a competitor to Uber and Lyft. I don't remember what it is, but you know, these small guys who may be trying to find a unique niche. Oh, via. 
Via is a good example. Um, I've even seen that there was one started for women, one started for uh, for parents who want to get their kids home every day. Smaller companies, great ideas. There's no way they're going to be able to st- to absorb the cost of now paying for the worker benefits uh, or a full time employee benefits um, of these drivers. So you hit on it when you imp- new regulations will make it raise the barriers to entry. Another buzzword, sorry, <laughs> but will but will make it difficult for new competition to come in. And you know what? As consumers, competition means more choice, lower prices. Well, that is wonderful. Thank you so much for breaking it down for us. And before I let you go, I would love for you to participate in our Women in Tech segment. Okay. Which basically means I get to ask you, how did you end up in tech? <laughs> you know, I fell into tech because I think I fell in love with it. Um, when I moved to D.C., my first boss, or maybe my second boss, talked about, let's take an Uber. And I was clueless. This was about 2000 and maybe 14 or 15. Um, and so it was my second job. But uh, I'm like, what is Uber? And then he, I just followed him and the car pulled up and we got in and it was sketchy, but there was no, there were no placards in the back window at the time. Aren't you like not, like we grew up being told not to get into cars with strangers. strangers. Well, this whole idea of the gig economy and, and even the sharing economy is based on trust with strangers. Like letting a stranger into your home to assemble your couch. Exactly. But when I saw that, I said, wow, this is really cool. And then I started looking at some of the different uh, tech companies that had started to bubble up. And, you know, I went to college. I graduated in 2004. My college was one of the early adopters of Facebook. It was one of those, like, elite colleges that, you know, only only a certain set of schools could actually get into. And I remember walking into the computer lab because most people did not have printers in their dorm rooms and seeing the white screen with little images that people were scrolling all day long. For those of you who do not know what I'm talking about, this is Facebook, like, pre-three redesigns ago. Um, and But I've seen the evolution of technology, and it's made me excited because because it's allowed me to connect with old classmates. It's allowed me to, you know, uh, b- grow a brand and gain recognition. It's it's really cool. And so I just love the idea of, in- of something innovating come along, coming along. And I want to see that protected. And from a, a principled standpoint, as a conservative and a person in the liberty movement, I believe that, you know, let's take the reins off government. Let's stop government from strangling. Let's, let's get those, those interests, those established interests, like the taxi cab um, commissions and the unions. And let's, the hotel lobby. And the hotel. That's a whole other. Let's not Airbnb even. is a whole other topic. But let's get them out of the way because they don't want to innovate. They've spent too much money trying to lobby their way to success. So when I see the battles like this popping up, it gets me excited because I know that there are regular people on the other side of it. People who just want to make a living, just want to make some extra money. And that's the, that's the excitement of the free market system. New ideas can really help expand opportunity for folks. So that's, uh, I I believe, what Independent Women Forum believes in and kind of applies to every industry. How did you end up there? Oh, man. I just ran it. I think I ended up at a, an event that they were hosting in D.C. one day, and it was like women, conservative women. I, I They made so much sense, and they were smart about what they were talking about. And I, I randomly went to the editor and said, hey, I like to write stuff. Would you be interested in taking anything that I write? And, I, you know, I submitted something. They liked it. They published it. And I just kept I just kept submitting content. And, uh, and eventually they gave me a little senior fellow title. And eventually that grew into doing radio interviews and television interviews 
interviews and then coming on full time with staff. And I tell young people, if you find something you're passionate about and you find a great organization, go ahead and, and dive right in and you never know where it will take you. What? What kind of experience uh, from your past or maybe what you studied in school do you think is helping you the most? Like what skills or maybe knowledge or just experience that you got do you think is helping you the most in the tech space? Uh Boy, in the tech space, I, I think it's still economics. I, I was an econ, pol political science and economics uh, double major for college. And basic macro and microeconomics. I was say, woman of numbers. Yeah, but you know what? I, I'll be honest. I hated statistics. And so that's why I don't think I got a PhD in economics. Um, but, but I just love understanding the basics of how the economy works and how the market works. And, and, it's, and the, the principles apply in every single scenario. And, and that's That's what I fall back on every single day. Amazing. Well, it, it's, it was great to have you. And I'm sure our listeners will be very interested in uh, following more of your work where they can find it. Ah, okay. First, go to IWF.org. We've got blogs and op-ed opinion pieces and writing all the time. If you like on Twitter, at Patrice Pink File, Patrice Pink, P-I-N-K-F-I-L-E. That was before I, I figured out like doing the real Patrice Amwuka. Uh, but it's the at, at Patrice Pink File or at IWF. And And, uh, and on Instagram, it's at PJCLee1. You'll actually see pictures of my beautiful baby boy who is going to turn one in just two weeks. Oh, well, so. I'm going to go look at that right now. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. And we're going to link to your page and your op-ed in the show notes also. Uh, so... Patrice, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Ash. Looking forward to having you again. Yeah, I would love to be back. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe and review us so others can find the show. You can find more, find out more about Tech Freedom on techfreedom.org. Thank you for listening. The Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan nonprofit think tank in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work, make a tax-deductible donation, or find other episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.